Hello, you are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. The following recording is intended solely for the use of blind, visually impaired, and print format disabled individuals. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith, amateur radio operator W0NX. The following articles are from the June 2021 The Spectrum Monitor, and we'll begin by finishing the remainder of SDR versus Analog, Which is Better? by Robert Gully, K4PKM. SDR output is not limited to audio the way an analog radio is limited. The signal can be part of a digital chain, which can allow for all kinds of manipulations. The ability of an SDR to convert an analog RF signal into a digital one, ADC, analog to digital converter, means in its digital state a signal can be calculated, parsed, and shaped to accomplish many different tasks suited to science, industry, music, and other fields. Does what it does, but capable of so much more, unlike the analog radio, The sky is the limit with SDRs, as almost every day there are new ways to use these devices. With the advent of the Raspberry Pi and similar computers, Arduino devices, and many others, SDRs are part of a wave of cutting-edge technology which is incredibly exciting. This relatively young advancement in the radio hobby promises many more exciting opportunities as we move forward in the coming years. Amateur Radio Contacts On the amateur radio side of things, some SDRs have now made the jump into being transceivers, especially in the world of QRP rigs. Their small size and broad capabilities make portable operation more feasible, as well as being a natural companion to the wave of digital signal modes sweeping the amateur radio world. Of course, these are not limited to low-power rigs. Several big-name transceiver manufacturers have come out with SDR-driven rigs, such as the ICOM 7300, the Yaesu FTM-DX101, the Flex series of radios, and hybrid radios with elements of SDR capability have been out for a number of years. Portability. As mentioned above, The small size of the typical SDR radio allows it to be very portable, but with some significant differences from an analog radio. First, most SDRs are not self-contained, so they will need a computer to translate their output to sound, and the all-important visual displays which make SDRs very special. If you have never experienced looking at a waterfall of signals produced by the typical software interface for the radio, you have missed something very dynamic. I will talk about the software more below. These radios also need an antenna. Although some of the dongles come with basic antennas useful for quick portable operation. And they will need a power source, typically a USB connection through a computer. The computer can be quite small, even a cell phone with the appropriate application installed. On the flip side, desktop operations, even with a small SDR, can be absolutely stunning with multiple monitors and superior audio systems. 
There are many possible configurations of hardware and software, allowing an almost infinite variety for the end user. Stunning visuals. For those familiar with the typical waterfall displays of SDRs, we might forget just how amazing these visuals are, as familiarity often breeds, if not contempt, complacency. Seeing bright signals displayed in contrast to a colorful background is definitely one of the most intriguing aspects of SDRs, particularly when you realize you can tap on the signal with your finger or a mouse, and suddenly the radio tuned to that frequency. Not only is the signal displayed, but depending on the source, one can often determine what kind of signal is being received. For example, Morse code often shows up as the actual dots and dashes when the screen is zoomed in a bit on a signal. AM signals show the carrier and dual sidebands, while an SSB signal shows just one sideband. Sometimes all we see is a carrier. I have also seen various types of interference show up on waterfalls, allowing me to track down potential sources of that interference. I mentioned earlier I like being able to record swaths of a band, and the waterfall allows me to tap on individual signals to hear what has been recorded. For those of us who like to see what happens over time in, say, the typical pirate radio frequencies, recording several hours' worth of signals and then playing them back, we can catch station IDs or signatures we might otherwise miss. With audio sampling and filter adjustments, we can sometimes clean up signals which sounded bad during the initial reception to make them more enjoyable or identifiable. In addition to the waterfall, many software programs add a spectrum display, audio displays, even waveform generation for RF and audio testing, sampling, or just visual enjoyment. Depending on the bands being received or the mode, displays of frequencies, memory channels, or decoded text can also be displayed. Software developers have shown great creativity in producing these programs to draw the most usefulness from these SDRs. We could spend hours and hours showing examples of these many creative uses, but hopefully this short discussion will whet your appetite to explore this fascinating aspect of the radio hobby. Wrap-up In case you haven't already guessed, my shack has room for both analog and SDR rigs and I would not want to do without either style of radio. As a bit of an old fuddy-duddy, I was somewhat resistant to SDRs when they first started turning up, but I am a true believer these days. However, just as with a lot of technology, I like to get away from the computer at times and live the simple life. This is when I will turn to one of my analog gems, and enjoy the simplicity of just listening without any specific outcome in mind. When discussing this dichotomy of analog and SDR radios, another dear friend of mine made an interesting observation. He noted that with analog radios, their limitations allow him to come to know the radio completely, such that he can operate the radio in the dark. Also, because the ability to manipulate an analog radio is finite, 
He must rely on his listening skills more to make the most of what he hears. By contrast, because SDRs and the myriad of software manipulations possible, he describes the listening process as ultimately more work because there is the assumption that one more tweak or filter will improve the signal. He also would not want to do without either style of radio, but enjoys the analog experience all the more because of his mental filter. SDRs are a means to an end in my radio world, as I use them for specific goals, such as parsing their output to software for manipulation, finding signals across an entire band, or storing audio files on the computer. Analog radios represent casual enjoyment, carefree exploration, and freedom from technology to me. Both analog and SDR capabilities allow me to enjoy the radio hobby to the fullest and make my time in the hobby extremely rewarding. And now, Anatomy of a Field Radio Kit, Part 1, by Thomas Witherspoon, K4SWL. Whether it's the ARRL Field Day, Winter Field Day, a QRP contest, or more likely... A Summits on the Air, S-O-T-A, or Parks on the Air, P-O-T-A, activation. I look for any and every excuse to hit the field with my radios. Most of my on-time air is in the field. While I enjoy operating from the shack, I've discovered I especially enjoy operating in the great outdoors. Besides being a fan of hiking, camping, and general outdoors activities, I am also particularly fond of radio field gear. I like portable transceivers, portable antennas, battery packs, and all of the accessories that make field operation efficient and enjoyable. I appreciate the emergency communications skills I've developed in the field, too. Should the need or opportunity arise, I now keep a complete field kit packed and ready to go at all times and I can even deploy all of it within just 10 minutes. In my early days of ham radio operation, I might have easily spent 30 minutes setting the antenna alone, especially on field day, with folks watching me struggle to untangle wires and cables, followed by the undoubtedly entertaining attempts I made to put a line into a tree to deploy the antenna. But after deploying a variety of antennas hundreds of times now, I find that, while I'm still not perfect, I finally have a bit of skill, and the process of tossing up a line is becoming much swifter and smoother. Confessions of a Pack Geek If I'm being honest with myself, I admit that I also simply get a thrill out of kitting out my field packs, as well as organizing and tweaking them over time. Yes, don't judge me, I actually like packing up my field gear. I think my passion for organizing and packing gear goes back to a former career when I lived in the UK, Germany, and France, and was required to travel throughout Europe frequently. Originally inspired by travel guru Rick Steves, I've always appreciated the footloose feeling of having all of my travel gear in one lightweight pack. 
I don't like checking in luggage, but love the freedom of grabbing my backpack and skipping the baggage claim carousels. And I also like knowing that, even though my gear is compact, it contains everything I need. I've become something of a less-is-more traveler. Two years ago, for example, I traveled for one week using what Frontier Airlines classifies as a personal carry-on. My Tom Bin stowaway pack, which only measures 14 inches wide by 9.4 inches high by 8.1 inches deep, and which carried everything I needed for a conference, including my own presentation gear. Packing for that trip was great fun, as it really challenged me to decide what was essential and what was not. My iPad doubled as a computing and presentation device, for example, but I also packed a small flashlight and a mini first aid kit, which I felt were important. Of course, I also carried a small portable shortwave AM-FM radio and my Yezu VX3R handheld, also vital, as I can't leave home without radios. Getting started with a field kit. Putting together a field radio kit is so similar to packing for travel. You must first do an assessment of what you need, starting with the basics, then organize it, pack it, and test it. In my world, this is a very deep topic. We're going to break down this topic into two parts. This month, in part one, we'll dive in. First, going over the obvious components of a basic field radio kit. Second, discussing the benefits of going low-power QRP, if that appeals. Next month, in part two, we will look at variations of kits based on activity, and finally, review what I consider the golden rules of a good field radio kit. First, the basics of a field radio kit, considering that these primary components will dictate your bag, pack, or case size. A transceiver. Since I'm a bit radio-obsessed, I have a number of QRP transceivers I like to take to the field. But if you have selected one transceiver you plan to dedicate to field work, or simply have only one transceiver, period, you can build a kit around it. If budget allows, you might consider buying a radio specifically for field use so it can always be packed and ready to go. There are a number of transceivers on the market that are designed with field use in mind. Some are compact, power-stingy, CW-only QRP transceivers that might only operate on three ham radio bands, while others are 100-watt general coverage transceivers that even have built-in antenna tuners. There's a wide variety of options. Look for field-friendly built-in options like CW and voice memory keying, SWR and power meter readings, a battery voltage indicator, low current consumption, the ability to lower power to at least one watt, an internal battery option, and an internal antenna tuner option. The more such options are already built into your field rig, obviously, the fewer separate accessories you'll need to pack and keep track of in the field, which is a good thing. 
Some of my favorite field-ready general coverage transceivers currently in production are the Elecraft KX2, a full-featured, inclusive, and compact 80 to 10 meter transceiver that's truly a Swiss Army knife of field operation. The Elecraft KX3, benchmark performance, wide array of features, and compact design. The Lab 599, Discovery TX500, military grade engineering, weatherproof, spectrum display, and benchmark current consumption for a general coverage radio. Mission RGO1, top-notch performance, 50 watts out, and excellent audio. The Azu FT817-818, rugged chassis, 160 to 6 meters, VHF and UHF multi-mode, both BNC and PL259 antenna inputs. The Jiegu X5105, affordable, 160 to 6 meters, 5 watts output, built-in ATU, and built-in rechargeable battery. The Jiegu G90, affordable, relatively compact rig with built-in ATU, color screen with spectrum waterfall, good audio, and 20 watts of output power. The ICOM IC705, benchmark performance, a multitude of features, exchangeable battery packs, 160 to 6 meters, VHF and UHF multi-mode, D-Star, GPS, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. The Yezu FT891, affordable, relatively compact radio with detachable faceplate, 100 watts output, and excellent audio. And if you're primarily a CW operator, you'll have some incredibly compact radio options like the CW-only Mountain Topper MTR-3B or 4B or the Elecraft KX-1. An important side note for field contests. If you plan to use a field transceiver in an event like the ARRL Field Day and or another popular radio contest, Make sure you choose a transceiver that can handle tightly spaced signals in an RF-dense environment. This is not the time to pull out a lower-end radio with poor receiver specifications. An antenna and a means to deploy and support it. This particular topic alone might warrant a three-part series of articles. So to keep the scope of this article realistic, Let's just say that you should build or buy an antenna that can comfortably handle the wattage you're pushing into it in all the modes that you operate. Considering that some 100-watt SSB-rated antennas might melt or arc if you run 100 watts CW or FT8. I would suggest you consider having at least one resonant antenna, like an end-fed half-wave, EFHW, that might cover 40 and 20 meters without the need of an antenna tuner to match the antenna impedance to your rig. Some of my favorite portable antenna systems? I'm a big fan of Chameleon Antenna. Website chameleonantenna.com 
for their ease of deployment and benchmark build quality. Their prices range from $145 for the MCOM-3 random wire to $550 for their MPAS 2.0 vertical antenna system. These prices are near the top of the market, but chameleon antennas are all machined and produced in the U.S., and the quality is second to none. These are antennas you might well pass along to the next generation, meaning really heirloom-worthy kit. Pack Tennas Website, packtenna.com Likewise, are pricey for such a compact product, but they are also beautifully engineered, lightweight, and designed for heavy field use. Pactenna produces an EFHW 9-to-1 Unin random wire and linked dipole models. There are some of the most compact field antennas on the market that can still handle as much as 100 watts of power output. Wolf River Coils Website, wolfrivercoils.com These verticals are affordable, compact, and resonant. Thus, an ATU isn't needed. It will take some time to learn how to adjust the coil during frequency changes, but they work amazingly well. I have the WRC Take It Along TIA. Their antennas are designed to handle 100 watts SSB, 50 watts CW, or 20 watts digital. Vibroplex, website vibroplex.com, sells a number of compact field portable antennas and is the current manufacturer of PAR and FEDS offerings. I'm very fond of the EFT Trail Friendly and the EFT MTR. MFJ Enterprises website mfjenterprises.com also has a few portable antennas in their catalog and it's very difficult to beat the price and performance of their antenna gear. I have their $50 EFHW antenna, the MFJ1982LP, and love it. I've also had tremendous fun with the Uber Compact Elecraft AX1 at elecraft.com antenna. Unquestionably, it's the most compact and quickest to deploy antenna I own. It's designed to pair with the Elecraft KX2 and KX3 using the optional internal antenna tuner. There are a number of other antenna manufacturers who cater to portable operators. For example, although I have not yet had the opportunity of testing their antennas, Sota Beams is highly regarded among Sota enthusiasts. Short on cash? No worries. You can build your own. In fact, until 2016, I had never purchased a field antenna. I built all my own. EFHW antennas and random wire antennas are no more than a carefully wound coil, a female antenna connector, an enclosure or mounting plate, and some wire. Some of the most active field operators I know homebrew all of their antennas. It's easy, affordable, and fun. A power source. Make sure you choose a battery that is sized appropriately for your transceiver power output. 
Being primarily a QRPer, I typically use three to four and a half amp hour batteries as they'll carry me through as many as three or four activations without needing to be recharged. This is the Audio Information Network of Colorado. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith. We invite you to please stay tuned for our next program.